a phrase that's uh, repeated very often as you go through life. It goes something like this. Those who uh, fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And there's probably some truth in that. And maybe you feel that there's a lot of truth in that. The unfortunate thing is that there's a whole bunch of new mistakes that we can make. And so even if we learn from history, we have the opportunity to make a whole bunch of fresh mistakes that no one has ever made before. So we can learn from history. Uh, and the, the Bible actually teaches us that. And it affirms the need to remember as we, um, as we go through life. We need uh, to know what has happened before. It helps to build us. It helps us to understand the situation that we're in if we can understand where we're coming from. And one of the uh, modules in your Sunday Life groups, and let me put a, a plug for that, uh, uh, Stanley's teaching uh, church history. And one of the values of church history is to learn what's happened before so we can better understand what we're facing today. And the Bible actually affirms that idea. We read about the nation of Israel, that as they were leaving uh, Egypt and moving into the Promised Land, they crossed the River Jordan. And God, if you remember that story, God miraculously parted the waters of the Jordan River to allow them to pass through. And as they're passing through and reaching the other side, Joshua, the leader at the time, he gets 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel. And he has them go and pick up a stone from the middle of the river of Jordan, which of course they could only do because the waters were parted. And so these were, in that sense, they were very special stones because they came from that place. And he had them pile them up on on the side of the of the river after they had passed through they created this pile of 12 stones and the whole point of that and this is what the bible tells us the point of that is so that the next generation will stop and say why is there that pile of stones there what does that represent and then that gives an opportunity for people to share what god has done in the past and to give them hope and a sense of future and uh, of looking forward because this is what God has done. These are the, this is what God has done for us in the past. How they can relay the story of how God stopped the waters of the River Jordan and allowed His people to pass through and provide deliverance for them. And so we see that the Bible does affirm to remember the, the idea of remembering, of thinking about what's happened in the past and uh, using that to help us in the future. But on the other side of it, the Bible also very strongly affirms that we are to be looking forward. We're not to be stopped in the past, just reflecting on what God has done in the past, but we are to be looking forward to what God is going to do in the future. We use those memories of how God has helped us, how God has delivered us, how God has provided for us in the past to propel us into the future and to see what God is doing in the days ahead. We remember that those things that God has done to give us courage and hope as we look forward to what's coming next. And so we see uh, a number of passages, and one was our, uh, our call to worship this morning, that encourages us to look forward. In Isaiah 53, verse 18 and 19, as the people of Israel are actually faced with exile in Babylon. 
They're being taken captive. The whole nation of Israel has been taken captive by the Babylonians, been carted off to captivity, and God gives them this word of encouragement and He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That life in Babylon was the wilderness, the wasteland that they were in. And he's saying, look, I'm going to do something. Have hope. Have courage. Look ahead. Move forward. Keep going. Follow God's lead. Don't get bogged down in the obstacles, but keep going. God's making a way there. We also see in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 13-14, to Paul uses himself as an example. And he sets himself an example of someone who is looking forward. And he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and training towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We look forward to what God is doing, to what God is going to do, to the goal that He has for each one of us. And as we begin this year, 2018, we have some goals. We have some ideas of what God wants to do in us and through us here at VCBC, in this community in Vancouver and across the world. And so as we start 2018, as this is our first Sunday in 2018, we look forward with excitement and anticipation to what God is going to do and what God has for us in the days and weeks and months ahead. We can remember all that He's done before and we can reflect on maybe some of the hard times that we've passed through as we think back on 2017 and the years before, but we also be, need to be looking ahead, to be looking forward and moving forward uh, with the Gospel. Moving forward and seeing what God is going to do in each one of our lives in this community and here at VCBC. It would be kind of sad if we came to the end of this year of 2018 and said, I should have done, or I could have done, or why didn't we? Instead, right now, at the beginning of this year, we need to look forward and we need to say, what's God want for us to do? What's God directing us? And let's work towards that. Joining together as brothers and sisters, as part of this community of VCBC, moving forward to what God wants us to do. Where are we moving to? What are we headed for? What are we looking for? In the last half of 2017, Uh, towards the end of the year, uh, those of us on the pastoral staff met and discussed this. We prayed and we talked and we shared with each other a bit. And we look forward to what God has for us at VCBC. And that's a good thing to do. And it's uh, something that we should all do even in our own lives. It's just to to stop and take a moment and reflect and think about uh, what does God want us to do in the days and weeks and months ahead. As we as the pastoral staff uh, thought and prayed and shared about this, we came up with the five visions that later on we also worked through with our deacons and then we shared with a larger group of leaders. And so some of you may have seen these already, but we're, we're going to introduce them here today. And they've been no secret. We had a, 
uh, a meeting in, in the middle, middle of November, and so many of you have seen these already. But to start off this year, we're going to go through these five visions and just talk about them just, just briefly with you here this morning. Just introduce them to everybody so that we're all on the same footing and we know where we are, where we're headed, and the priorities that are ahead of us. These will be the focus for us here at VCBC in the months and perhaps years ahead. Over the next five months uh, here in, uh, on Sunday mornings, you're going to hear a lot about them. Uh, the expectation is we'll all become very familiar with these, we'll understand them, and we'll see how we can be putting them into practice in our own lives, in our ministry teams, and in the church as a whole. So we'll be focusing on these five over the next five months. We'll introduce them here, uh, all of them here today, this morning. And then through the month of January, we'll be uh, talking about outreach. Through the month of February, prayer, and so on over the next five months. And so we'll be unpacking and unfolding each one of these to, to take time to stop and think about how we can be doing more in each one of these. We may say that we're doing well in some, but we're weak in others, so those will be the ones that we can focus on as we move ahead through 2018. Maybe it's a chance for each one of us to stop and say, maybe this is time for me to get involved in something new that I've been focused in one area. And now it's time for me to, uh, to, to put that aside and to, to work in another area, to gain some exposure, to grow in my Christian walk as I, as I uh, gain experience in another area. As we look at these five visions, we see that they are not something new or radical. There's not, some, there's not anything revolutionary that's going to make you sort of gasp and say, wow, I've never thought of that before. But in a way, our task is not, uh, as, uh, as a church, is not to dream up new and radical ideas. Our task is simply to follow what our leaders, what the head of our church, Jesus Christ, has laid out for us to do. And when you stop and ask that question, what is it that Jesus has asked us to do? You'd have to do a thorough reading of the Scriptures to discover all that He has asked us to do. There's uh, many things that He has laid out, even directly in His own words He has said many things, but then through the apostles and through the rest of the Bible and the, 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 through the rest of God's Word, we find that He points us to many, many different things. And so this is, familiar ground when we stop to think about what it is that God uh, and Jesus want us to do. Some things that you may think of as you think about, well, what is it that Jesus wants us to be doing? You might think of uh, loving God and our neighbors as yourself. That might be the first thing that comes to your mind. You might say, well, caring for the needy in our community. Giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Going out and helping those who need a hand. You might think of making disciples, teaching, praying, giving. The list goes on and on. All these things that we are supposed to be doing. And so, as we thought about it, in a way you could come up with all of those things and say those are the things we need to focus on. But as we talked and prayed, we came up with these five uh, focus and priority areas that we need to be working on. And so they're not something new to us, really. 
there, there won't be anything surprising. There won't be anything innovative as we unpack these five visions. The new and innovative things come as we think about how do we actually do these things in our context in Vancouver, here at VCBC, through 2018. What worked in 1950 doesn't work today. When we think about things that we were doing 10, 20 years ago, are they the same things we should be doing today? The, the answer probably is no. Because we are changing. Society is changing around us. And so we need to come back to these things and refresh that look at them. And say, if we're doing discipleship, what does it look like to disciple in 2018? Those are the challenges that are ahead of us. What does it look like to pray, to have a, a meaningful prayer time individually and as a body of Christ in 2018? How do we do that effectively in this day and age? And so that's where the, the innovation comes from. That's where the new thinking is needed. Is How do we do these things to make them relevant and important to us here in 2018? And so as we come together as individuals and as a VCBC community, we'll be stronger. We'll be able to encourage and grow together as we think about these five visions. So these five vision points come in no particular order or priority. And if you have your yellow insert, you'll see that the same thing you're seeing on the screen, I'm pointing back there, but it's actually for you. It's for me, it's back there. For you guys, it's back here. This, what you're seeing back here is the same that's on, uh, on the sheet here, pretty much on both sides of it. So you can, uh, you can go home with these same things that, uh, that we'll talk about here this morning. And these come in no particular order or priority, but let me just talk briefly about each one of them uh, this morning, and then we'll spend the next uh, uh, five months uh, unpacking each one and taking two, three weeks each month to talk about each one of these. And so by the end of, uh, by the end of our, our five months, so by the end of May, we're hoping that each one of us will have a really good understanding of what each one of these means and have taken some time to think about how do we put these into practice in our lives, in the life of our church here at VCBC. So the first one that we see uh, is outreach. The book of Acts records for us the amazing story of the Apostle Paul. And if you take the time to just read it, just sit down and read the book of Acts, especially the last half of the book of Acts, you'll find this amazing story of the Apostle Paul and his supernatural encounter with Jesus. As Jesus comes down and meets him face to face, this is the, the risen Jesus Christ. This is after his death and resurrection. Jesus comes down from heaven and meets Paul face to face and stops him in his tracks and changes his life. Changes Paul from uh, someone who was persecuting the church to someone who was the main leader in, in growing the church. And this is the Paul that we read about in the book of Acts. Paul was, was one who was uh, bold, bold and fearless in his preaching of the Gospel. And he certainly, as he talked about Jesus, he got everybody's attention around him. We read about the Jews, the God-fearers, those Gentiles who were 
worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Gentiles, they all heard what Paul had to say and they all responded to him. Now, they did uh, respond to him in different ways. They didn't all respond in the same way. We read in the book of, uh, in the book of Acts, Acts uh, chapter 19, verse 9, and uh, the Bible says, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So some were not interested in hearing. They became obstinate, stubborn. They didn't want to believe. When they heard about uh, what he had to say, they weren't interested in listening. By contrast to that, in Acts chapter 17, verse 32, it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, and this is Paul speaking to uh, a number of people in Athens. So he had gone into the public marketplace where uh, ideas and philosophies were discussed and debated. And he went into that marketplace and presented the Gospel to that group of people, uh, of, of the philosophers. He faced them head on in, in, on their home, home field, if, you'd put, if you could put it that way. And he debated with them and he spoke with them and he presented the Gospel to them. And it says in Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the, dem, of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So sometimes Paul met with a receptive audience where they wanted to hear. They were intrigued by the ideas that he had and the things that he was sharing. In Acts chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, it says, uh, he was explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And then verse 4 gives us that account of the range of responses that Paul had. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So there's an example of a good response. Paul ends up in prison, but that doesn't impact his boldness to preach the Gospel. And we can jump to the end of the book of Acts, and that's the verse that's on the screen there, is the very last uh, passage, the last verse of the book of Acts. And here he is in prison, seemingly under house arrest. He's, uh, he's there in his rented house, in his own rented house. He welcomed all who came to see him, so it seems like he had a good degree of freedom. And it says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the verse that goes along with our idea of outreach, of preaching the Gospel, proclaiming the Kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so that's the verse we want to hold on to as we think about outreach. In our day and age, to be bold in outreach can seem like a pretty scary thing. It can seem very, very hard to be bold in reaching out and preaching the Gospel and talking about Jesus and proclaiming the Kingdom of God. We're maybe afraid of what people will say about us. Maybe we're fearful that there will be some consequences to it. That maybe we're feeling a little bit like there's a limitation on freedom of speech and so we might feel like we can't say anything. Uh, we might feel that we'll just be perceived as a little bit weird or unusual or a bit offbeat. 
But that shouldn't stop us from being bold and courageous and, uh, and talking about Jesus, sharing the Kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the, the hindrances that we may feel and despite the challenges that we may face, indeed, we need to consider how we can, in an effective and sensitive way, reach out to the community around us and not be afraid to be bold for Jesus Christ. So we'll be exploring this more as we move through January. The second one, uh, okay, the second one here, there we go, uh, is prayer. And for those of you who are eagle-eyed editors, you'll notice a typo in this. So grab your pencils. If you haven't already noticed, grab your pencils in front of you. And you'll see the verse there is prayer, a spirit-led church, number two. So I say, this is, this is the outline, okay? This is not the Word of God. Um, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will gratify uh, the desires of the flesh. It should be you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. <laughs> one of those, um, you know, just as a, as a quick sideline, you know, at, at one point there was, uh, there was actually a Bible actually got printed with one of those typos in it. And uh, if you can get your hands on a copy of that Bible that was printed with a typo, and I think it was actually in the Ten Commandments where it was like, you should not kill, and it actually said you should kill. And, and so it was just a typo, right? And, but if you can get your hands on one of those Bibles, that, that one of those misprinted ones, they're very valuable. Um, okay, <laughs> back to the point here. Okay, the second point is prayer. Just emphasizing prayer and being a Spirit-led church. Paul encourages, encourages us on how to live. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Walking by the Spirit implies a closeness with God. And that's closely tied with prayer. We see that a, a prayer, prayer is, a, is a key part of the life of the church. Again, looking in the book of Acts. It says in Acts chapter 12, when uh, the Apostle Peter finds himself in prison. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God. When faced with this difficulty, with this challenge of having Peter in prison, the people don't storm the government offices demanding Peter be released. They don't run and retreat and hide and say, well, I'm going to be next. I need to, I'm, I'm going to go retreat into myself and, and we're all going to scatter and hide because we might be the next ones in prison. No, their response is to come and earnestly pray. Do we earnestly pray about anything? We might pray and we might, dis- we might be able to point to different times in our church calendar where we have prayer, but would we really describe ourselves as individuals and in the church of a church that earnestly prays, that sincerely and, and, and with a, a full heart comes before God and brings our request to Him? That's a, a question to ponder as we think about the second of the vision points, which is prayer. Acts 13, verse 3 also shows us about prayer in the early church. And it says, uh, as they're sending uh, Barnabas and Saul off to the mission field. 
It says, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they didn't send uh, Paul and Barnabas to, uh, to seminary, although probably Paul didn't, could be a teacher there. Not, he didn't need to go as a student. But, uh, but how did they prepare them? They fasted and they prayed. And they laid hands and sent them off. And this was a, a church that was a, a praying church. And uh, a great classic verse on prayer that's uh, easy if you're looking for a memory verse. Uh, here's one. Paul says simply in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Or different translations may say, pray without ceasing. Just living that life of prayer. And so as we affirm the need to be a Spirit-led church, because we're not a human-led church in that sense, Jesus is our head. And those of us, the human leaders who are in the church, are ones in whom the Spirit dwells and who we rely on for wisdom and guidance as we, uh, as we uh, lead. We are a Spirit-led church, but part of that, and an essential part of it, is that we spend that time praying. We acknowledge that God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over our lives, over uh, BCBC. And prayer, talking to God, talking to the One who is sovereign, is a vital part of our church life. And so we need to think about how we can develop and grow in that area. The next one is unity. One of our strengths as a church is that we are a church of multiple languages here, able to reach out effectively to, uh, to more than one language group. There's a real strength in that diversity. And here we are in, in English, work, uh, worshipping in English here. Downstairs, they're worshipping in Mandarin. Before and after, that's Cantonese. As we're all aware of that. There's a real strength in that diversity. How do we leverage that diversity to build unity? How can we embrace that diversity? Instead of letting the diversity divide us, we need to work so that diversity can unify us, can bring us together. And again, we can look at the early church and to see those threads of unity that are there, even across congregations and across actually uh, many, many miles. We read about this in Romans. Uh, we read about it in a couple places, but in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 26, Paul makes mention as he's heading to Rome, there is a, no, he's heading to Jerusalem, he says, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So here you see the unity of the body that these congregations, these communities of believers in Macedonia and Achaia, which was uh, pretty much uh, modern-day Greece, were sending an offering. Where they, they collected funds because they'd heard about the suffering, about some uh, famine and poverty in, in, among the believers in Jerusalem. And so across those many miles, and it wouldn't take as long in this day and age uh, to travel that, but it certainly did in that time, Paul carried that offering from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the church in Jerusalem to help them, to assist them. This isn't always a, an easy thing for us to do. We want to maybe look after ourselves and just think about ourselves. But Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
We have lots of challenges to face. There's no question that in this day and age, there's lots of challenges for us as a church. We should face them together. Working together to help one another when we can, to support one another. It doesn't mean that we will do everything together all the time. But when we can, we come together and we do things in unity and there's strength in that unity. There's conviction in that unity that we are one part of a body of Christ that's bigger than just us gathered here this morning. And we work together, supporting, encouraging, and helping one another. The fourth thing is a disciple-making church. is discipleship, a disciple-making church. And this one, I think, is key. In fact, I think if we could get this one down, the rest of them would almost kind of take care of themselves. If we're effectively making disciples, those other things will happen. We will be praying. We'll be reaching out. We'll be working together in unity. All those things will happen. Making disciples, though, is the basic task that Jesus left for us. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Make disciples is sort of the bottom line of the church. That's what we're all about. Churches run a risk, though, of becoming program-oriented instead of people-oriented. We're busy running programs, doing this and that, busy in meetings, planning, running activities. But are we really making disciples? And that's a key question that we need to ask. What, all these things that we're doing, are we really making disciples? Which should be the whole point of it. It wasn't here, but in another church, we had some denominational officials come and visit us in the church. And we were a very small congregation, and they said to us who were there in leadership, and they said, you need to start a men's meeting. And after we, we, that was one of the, the things they, they advised us after their visit. And we said, well, after we were talking about it, the leaders, and I said, they, they were all saying, oh, well, what are we going to do? We need to start a men's ministry. And I said to the other leaders, I said, why do we need to start a men's ministry? Well, because they told us we should. I said, how many men do we have in the church? As I said, this is a very small church. And it was like almost all of the men in the church were us on the leadership team, the five or six of us on the leadership team. And I said, we have a men's ministry. That, this is us. We're doing it already. We don't need to start... Because if we started a men's ministry, it would just be the, us five or six guys getting together again to do what? But the idea that, this, that the denomination had was, you need to do this. You need to run this program without really thinking about what, what, what do our people need? How can this help us to make disciples? Instead, it was just simply, this is a program that every church should have and, and you don't, so you need to have it. We need to be careful we don't fall into that trap of just thinking, what are we doing? And are, what programs are we running? And thinking that just because we're running programs, we're making disciples. So, is this the main thing that we're doing and focusing on? Stephen Covey has said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And this is a great quote. Sometimes it's hard for us to figure out what the main thing is. But I believe we know that when we're working in the church. The main thing is to make disciples. So as we think about that a, later, a little bit uh, later on, a couple months from now, 
be thinking, but we can be thinking about it now. How can we be making disciples? How can what can we be doing to be more effective in our disciple making? And the last one is empowering future generations, a long sustaining church, a church that's not just here for one generation or two generations, but one that has a lifespan, a long lifespan. And our verse there is Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. And Paul again says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 2 Timothy 2.2 And this is, when you look at this carefully, you see there's four generations there. There's the Apostle Paul first. And he says, The things you have heard me say, so this is Paul talking, he's talking to Timothy, so the things you have heard me say, he's passing it on to Timothy, he says, and trust to other people, that's the third generation, who then will also teach others, the fourth generation. So you see in that one sentence, four generations of teaching being passed on. It's often said that God has no grandchildren. Uh, Each generation needs to work at raising up the next generation of disciples of Jesus. And that should be something that's happening naturally in the church. And that's something we need to encourage here at VCBC. That might mean we take some risks. That we let others come on and take up tasks that maybe we don't think they're qualified for just so they can get some experience. It may be allowing others to step up and step out and do something that maybe we're not quite comfortable with. It means that we will be training and equipping and releasing them. Releasing people to to do what God has put on their hearts but reviewing and evaluating and improving as we go along. That might involve us learning together and maybe at times failing together, but growing together and experiencing God together. As we journey together across generations, trusting one another, our church will have staying power. As we empower the next generation, uh, wherever we are, wherever we stand in this church, whatever generation we stand at, We should be looking and saying, who are the next generation? If you're a teen, you can look at the kids down in JC Kids and say, they are the next generation. I need to be empowering them. If you're a little bit older, you can look at the the teens and say, I should be empowering them. If you're a little bit older, and, and it all works down, we all have a future generation we can look at and say, I need to be empowering, working to build those ones up, strengthen those because they are the future of the church. And so that will be the last thing that we look at in, uh, in May. Is how can we be empowering the future generations so we are a church that has sustaining power? So our task as we think on all of these things over the next few weeks and months is to do some evaluation, to do some thinking as a church, as ministry teams, as individuals within the church. To think about how we can be improving. What is it that we are doing that maybe needs some, uh, some help, a bit of a boost? And maybe you, you need to, we need to be thinking about uh, what is it that we can be doing so that we can be doing these things better. So over the, over the next five months as we look at each one in more depth and as the ministry teams meet and share and think about uh, these uh, we can be working together, moving forward in these areas. 
over the next six weeks here in the English service, we're going to have ministry teams coming and sharing briefly in our Sunday morning services about what they are doing and opportunities uh, that they have. And so you'll be hearing from the ministry teams that are running all of the ministries of BCBC. And so as you hear from those ministry teams, you can be thinking about how can I be involved? What way can I, uh, what way can I be involved in, in these ministries? Maybe there's something that will touch your heart or God's Spirit will speak to you and say, there's an area you need to be involved in. Or maybe it's not that you'll be directly involved, but you'll say, there's an area of church ministry that I need to be praying for. And then we start to see all these visions come together. We see uh, ministry teams coming and sharing. God putting a burden on our heart to pray. And that brings unity. And these things will all work together. This is an exciting journey that we're on. As we think about the next six months, as we look forward and we're on the move, moving forward, God is with us, helping us and guiding us. And we can be on this journey together. I believe that's what God wants us to do as we begin 2018. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You have called us to the task of making disciples, of doing many things, of praying, of being a united body, of sharing one another, of entrusting the work of the Gospel to the next generation. All these things, Lord, You have given us the task to do. As we take these next few months here at VCBC and the months ahead to focus on these things, Lord. I pray that You would help each one of us to see our part in it. To see what we can do to fulfill these visions. To see what we can do to bring these together. To bring us together as the body of Christ here at VCBC to do these things that You have called us to do. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.